Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game odds on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. Blue Wire. It's exciting to win money. Back out to Allen. History title. Tie game with five seconds remaining. Is there anything you don't gamble on? Uh, not really. Gambling gods, fickle bunch. Oh, yeah. So easily offended. Gambling's not your problem. You're just an idiot. And we welcome you into Full Slate, a Blue Wire gambling podcast. My name is Greg Frank. You can find me on gambling Twitter at Undercover Greg. As we record a little earlier this week, but it is Thanksgiving week, and so... You know, the week kind of gets away from you a little bit when the turkey starts getting consumed and the Black Friday shopping, if you're one of those people, starts to take over your Friday or whatever else you might be doing with your Friday that is a little out of the ordinary this time of year. So we wanted to get our podcast recording getting going a little earlier. And of course, when we're football centric in the fall, that means we can uh, look at the numbers and talk about them a little earlier in the week. Anyway, it is a big week in college football as it's a rivalry week across the nation. Final week of the regular season means a lot of historic rivalries are renewed. So to talk about some of them and give out some of our favorite plays for the final week of the regular season in college football, we bring on Bill Christie at Larry's Locks 2 on Gambling Twitter. Bill, good to have you back again. It's been a little bit since we've been able to link up for some college football but, uh, hey, it is certainly put up or shut up time on the College Gridiron. Oh, yeah. One of the best slates of the season across the board of all sports, at least in my opinion. All these rivalry games, so much history. Um, and like you said, it's the last the last chance for some of these teams to prove themselves that are on the outside looking in and the other teams that are kind of barely hanging on to the lowly playoff spots that are available. So it's it's going to be a lot of fun this weekend. So let's start there. Obviously, uh, we're, as I said, we're recording a little earlier in the week. Uh, we're doing this on a Tuesday evening, um, and the latest college football playoff rankings were recently released. 
And I'll tell you what, Bill, I think sometimes the committee does this for show. And I think there's sometimes a lot of fanfare that goes into it, a lot of noise. And I feel like the college football playoff committee looks at Tuesdays in the fall as their nights when they can kind of dominate the headlines, whether they intend to do so or not. Um, but and so for that reason, normally there's something where I look at and I just kind of laugh at and think, oh, they're just doing that for the headlines or whatnot. They don't actually believe that. Or, and there's something I don't agree with. But I think they got it right tonight. I, I just want to start there. I have zero issue with Ohio State moving up to number two. I think it's the right warranted decision after you saw what Ohio State did to Michigan State on Saturday. Alabama, obviously, not as nearly as impressive. No cover for them against the Arkansas Razorbacks in Tuscaloosa on Saturday in the late afternoon. Uh, and you know what? Cincinnati had to be for. After Oregon got slaughtered by Utah, who else? We're going to move into that number four slot behind Georgia, Ohio State and Alabama. I mean, Michigan sitting there at number five and we'll touch on Michigan and Ohio State briefly, even though none of us have a play in the game. And, and Notre Dame at six. I know uh, we'll get to them a little bit later in the pod as well. Uh, but they lost to Cincinnati. So I, I thought it was a no brainer to put Cincinnati at four. But when you're talking about the group of five team and the kind of little guy at the table, you always wonder if it is going to be that easy. Fortunately, for the case of the Bearcats, they are sitting there at four. And I think now probably just have to win. I mean, we talk about style points, but if they can win two more games, like I, I think they're going to be in. So I think the two big things that people were talking about was number two, was Ohio State going to jump Alabama? And would we get Cincinnati at four like everybody kind of thought we should get? And both of those things ended up happening. Yeah, I'm with you. I don't have any problem with what the committee did. I don't and I think you're right. I'm looking at it again now. And I mean, is there any possible way that Cincinnati could get bumped out? With, so with here's the scenario, the, the scenario that David Pollack brought up uh, on the show tonight on ESPN after they had released given the rankings out. There's three uh, situations, uh, first of which is probably the most likely, and that's Ohio State to run the table. So they're in with the one loss. Then you have Alabama beat Georgia in the SEC title game. So then Alabama becomes a one loss SEC champion. Obviously, they would be in and Georgia would still make it with one loss. So that's mm -hmm. three of the playoff teams right there. Ohio State, Alabama and Georgia. And then his other looming scenario was Oklahoma State or Oklahoma, whoever wins Bedlam going on to win the Big 12 and the debate becomes one loss Big 12 champion versus undefeated Cincinnati. I still think in that situation, though, you side with undefeated Cincinnati, right? I mean, personally, I would, but <laughs> I wouldn't put it past the committee to slide one of those one loss Big 12 teams into that fourth spot either, though. So it'll be interesting to see if that scenario is the one that plays out and see what they do. Yeah, and obviously uh, we'll touch on the Bedlam game as well, but that's really the only scenario because obviously – um, Oklahoma State's in at number seven. Number six is Notre Dame, and Notre Dame does not play a conference title game, and Notre Dame has a head-to-head -head loss against Cincinnati. So um, that's kind of the deal. And, and you know what? Like, Houston has started to play a lot better, so it might not be a cakewalk for the Bearcats in the American Conference title game. So Cincinnati winning out maybe a little bit harder than initially presumed, but obviously the Bearcats would still be probably at least a touchdown favorite 
on uh, that American Conference title game against the Cougars. But let's get started uh, with our uh, plays. And actually, I, I wanted to obviously touch on it. You're a Michigan guy, uh, and we don't have any plays on the marquee game of the week with Ohio State and Michigan. Uh, but we have to talk about it, obviously, one of the best rivalries in college football. High noon kickoff in Ann Arbor. Ohio State has been bet up. No surprise. I believe it opened seven, seven and a half. I'm seeing eight and a half mostly now. Total of 64 and a half in Ann Arbor. And you know what, Bill? I, I, I would lean to Ohio State. I just feel like it's going to be so public and they're going to be in so many money line parlays with NFL teams and you know teasers because they're still mm-hmm. at eight and a half. So you can get them below the three. Um, I just couldn't bring myself to actually taking the Buckeyes, but it does feel like this thing is just as simple as Ohio State slaughtered Michigan State. Michigan State beat Michigan. Probably not going to go well for Michigan on Saturday, right? Yeah, it's it's so hard to see it every single year. Greg, in the last 19 years, do you know how many times Michigan has beaten Ohio State? Last 19 years. How I will say I'll give them four wins. You doubled their win total. Two. They have two. Wow. 2011 was the latest, and you have to go all the way back to 2003 for the other one. Uh, I was going through it today, and it's just it's 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 painful. Same game with different guys wearing the jerseys. (laughs) Seriously, it really is, and and. This, I guess, would probably be the best Michigan team heading into this game in recent history. And they're still over a touchdown dog at home. So, look at that. I I got a feeling you're you're pretty on point with your analysis of, you know, public money is going to be on them. People are going to be taking Ohio State in the money line parlays, teasing them down. Man, this which, this which, by team. way, Bill, I was in some ways surprised when I saw it open seven, seven and a half, because if you're a bookmaker, like, you know where the money's coming at that point. Like, I just would have thought we would have seen like a nine or nine and a half right out of the gate. But I, I guess that's when you get a little worried about the sharp guys just making the line seven to begin with and then smashing the nine. So, I yeah, I don't it know. It could be. It could be. But yeah, I, I mean, I'm staying away from it completely. Um, gun to my head, I have to take somebody. I think there's a better chance of the Buckeyes blowing them out than Michigan keeping it close. Um, it was kind of like the same scenario as tonight's college basketball game with Gonzaga and uh, and UCLA. I had a lot of people asking me, well, which way are you lean in? Because uh, I had said I had no play on the game. And I, I said, that there's one of two scenarios that's going to happen. It's going to either be UCLA is going to win a tight one or Gonzaga is going to blow the doors off of them, and right. it was pretty obvious from the get-go what was what was going to happen. And and Gonzaga looked phenomenal, but I think we're going to be looking, yeah, potentially in the same scenario here. But I, I just, I, I just, I, I can't, I could not back Michigan in this game. Not not with the history that's going on, and to me, yeah, nothing's I mean, really, Bill, really changed. Like, and honestly, if you were to back Michigan. I would much, much sooner back them in the first half because Michigan's going to have to get off to a good start because this is not going to be, you know, a double digit halftime deficit for Michigan that they whittle down and find their way through the back door. or They manage to, you know, play a better second half and and cover if they're down 
and they're getting their asses kicked in the first half, they're just going to go away and lose by 30 again, right? Like, yeah, and that's what, that's so kind of what scares like me about Michigan. This. I think you got to play them in the first half because they're going to have to get off to a good start here. Right, and that's what kind of scares me when you look at the total being over 60 points, and you look at Michigan and <laughs> their wins, especially their. I mean, take out the Maryland game. Uh, last week, Penn State 21-17, Indiana 29-7, Northwestern 33-7, Wisconsin 38. So they're not giving up. <laughs> they beat Rutgers by a touchdown 20-13. to So they're not in all their wins pretty close much. Close game against Nebraska. Yeah, close game against Nebraska. Uh, I mean, at least in that one, they, they gave up 29. They were able to still put up 32. But right. it's going to be a rarity. So the fact that the, that the total is that high, too, just – makes me feel like it's going to be Ohio State. And if it's if it's going to be Ohio State, I feel like it's going to be Ohio State big. So I think you're more in line to see a, a 42 to 17 type of score um, with the total being at that 60 number. So, again, I'm staying away. But if you feel like you have to take it, I would strongly encourage people to take the Buckeye side. Well, and Bill, let's not forget that I think for as much as the Buckeyes are looking to solidify themselves – in the college football playoff, of course, they already have the one loss, so they, they can't lose another game. doesn't look like they're going to uh, until the playoff. But um, C.J. Stroud, yeah. you know, he's sneaking up now and maybe is going to steal this Heisman Trophy. It's a Heisman Trophy race that is pretty open, mm-hmm. you know, for a while there in, in earlier parts of November and October. It looked like Kenneth Walker of Michigan State was the favorite. And then, obviously, you saw what happened last week at the Horseshoe. So, I, I mean, I, I saw C.J. Stroud in person in Nebraska against the Cornhuskers, and I wasn't that impressed by him. But it kind of feels like no one is running away with this Heisman Trophy. And so the point is, I, I, I could see a scenario in which Ohio State says, hey, let's run this thing yep. up and let's try and get our, our quarterback some style points in the Heisman race because – I, if you ask me who's going to win the Heisman right now, I, I couldn't give you an answer. Like, there's no clear-cut favorite here. Well, I'm looking at it right now, and he is it. He, you know, he's minus 200 right now to, to win the Heisman. Wow. So, uh, Bryce who's Young's the last, close. You know, off the top of your head, who, I, who's the last Heisman winner out of Ohio State? Uh, that's a good question. You have to go all the way back to Troy Smith? Like, maybe you would. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it's possible. Um, but, yeah, and then you <laughs> – and then you have uh, Bryce Young's the next closest at one okay. plus one fifty, and then it then it drops off to you know Corral's next twenty two hundred, so twenty two to one. So yeah, it looks like it's a race between those two those two quarterbacks for the Heisman. Yeah, look, it's this rivalry has been known to uh, have some Heisman moments in it. You know, with Charles Wood, just so happened to be Michigan side, so obviously it's been years and years and years ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but you know, you had the Charles Woodson. Uh, punt return for a touchdown. That was kind of his Heisman moment. And uh, then you had Desmond Howard, his punt return, uh, his Heisman moment. So, yeah, it could be the time where C.J. Stroud just has that Heisman moment in this game, too, and kind of runs away with it because whoever they play uh, in the Big Ten championship game, I think they're going to be double-digit favorite. Oh, without a doubt. And honestly, like, I think the Big 12 does it this way, and I think every conference ought to just get rid of divisions and take the top two teams, and that's your conference title game. I don't really get how the divisions adds any benefit to your league. And, um, you know, of course, in this case, for the Big Ten, it may not matter. Ohio State might just be that much better than everybody else. But, 
you know, um, last point here. I, I do think uh, with every week we get closer towards a possible Ohio State Georgia title game. And I think uh, I, I, I can't shut down the hype of what it might be like to watch this offense of Ohio State and those receivers, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, Jackson Smith, Ajigba, go up against the Georgia defense. Like that's just a dream matchup that everybody should want to see. Yeah, agree that that if I have to pick two teams, that's who I'm rooting to see in the final. So let's keep things moving and get into some of our picks now. I want to start with a pick on Black Friday, as there is quite a bit of college football on Black Friday, as we always uh, have every year. There's also the Egg Bowl on Thursday night. So if the NFL doesn't quite float your boat on Thanksgiving, you have a great rivalry. I I, I do always kind of check this one out, not only because uh, you have two SEC teams here, Mississippi and Mississippi, Mississippi and Mississippi State, who you know, save for the one year with Dak Prescott getting the Bulldogs of Mississippi State all the way up to number one in the country. Neither one of these teams in recent memory all that much of a factor on the national landscape, but it is a fun in-state rivalry, and they always play on Thanksgiving night, and it's uh, there is one other game on Thanksgiving, Fresno State and San Jose State, but it usually is by itself, and then as this is, Thursday night, primetime Thanksgiving. So uh, no gambling angle there, but I do think it's a fun mm-hmm. one to watch. And you have two really charismatic coaches with Mike Leach and uh, and Lane Kiffin. So, um, you know, just that'll, that'll certainly be some uh, alternate viewing for some on uh, Thanksgiving night. But I want to start with a play on Black Friday, as I said, and I'm going to look to Austin where the Texas Longhorns are a three-point favorite over Kansas State. And if you know anything about what's going on with Texas lately, you know it's not good. They've lost six consecutive ball games, four and seven, meaning that they are not going to a bowl game. Had they won last week against West Virginia, Longhorns still could have salvaged uh, bowl eligibility. But here they are at four and seven, and they're favored by three at home against seven and four Kansas State, who is off of a home loss against Baylor. One of those lines that's certainly talking to me a little bit. And you know what? I think in some ways, uh, one of my plays last week was uh, the arch rival of the Longhorns. I took Oklahoma minus the short number against Iowa State, cashed it, uh, but primarily was basing the play on the fact that Texas, or excuse me, Oklahoma had a young quarterback, Caleb Williams, and the pressure was kind of off after losing in Baylor a couple weeks, you know, the week prior. And so I thought that Oklahoma might be able to just collectively breathe a little bit and play its game and uh, not necessarily worry about going undefeated in college football playoff and things like that. Well, I think that's a similar effect here for Texas in the sense that they're not going to a bowl game now. And, you know, it's been a disappointing year for Texas. Uh, but, you know, Steve Sarkeesian, I don't think that they should let him go. I think sometimes the Texas job is just we overhype it so much to the point where if you're like this and four and eight, five and seven, the first year or two, like you're automatically fired. Like you almost get no time at Texas uh, Mm -hmm. with this job. So I think that there's an element here of just wanting to uh, kind of remind everybody why he got this job. And I think that this is a a spot for Texas, as I said, against a Kansas State team that doesn't have a lot to play for, but is still a respectable seven and four. I think this is where Texas just kind of uh, lets loose a little bit um, and uh, just plays with nothing to lose because they don't have anything to lose. Wins the game by double digits. And again, I look at a four and seven team favored over a seven and four team. I like the Longhorns hook them. 
horns on Black Friday for me. Any thoughts here, Texas K-State? Yeah, the only thing I'd say is I get that the line sticks out to you, but I do believe that Skylar Thompson, the quarterback for Kansas State, got knocked out of the last game, and I'm not sure if he's going to go in this one. So, I I mean, the line kind of tells me he's probably not going to go. Right. Um, So if that's the case, I'd I'd feel pretty comfortable in Texas. But if he is able to go – you know, I would I would worry a little bit, but like you said, Texas kind of nothing to play for, nothing to lose. Go out there, you know, finish the season at least on a high note because I think they've lost what was it six straight, five straight, six straight. Ah, uh, six yeah, in a row. As six I said, in a row, yeah. yeah. So I mean, I don't know. I I'll be staying away from it either way. Um, but yeah, I could see the scenario that you laid out there playing out for sure. Keep things moving. We do have a few consensus plays that we'll get to in a minute, but Bill, I want to let you take the reins on one of your plays that I am not on, but certainly will be ruined for you as it's the North Carolina State Wolfpack laying six, six and the hook in another rivalry game. I believe this is a Friday night game. It is uh, as it is in Raleigh uh, against North Carolina Wolfpack are uh, just shy of a touchdown favorite, total of 62.5. You like the home shock. Yeah, I do. Uh, uh, Wolfpack 7-4 against the spread this year, um, 5-1 against the spread at home, 4-1 against the spread as home faves. Love those trends. And North Carolina, the exact opposite, uh, being on the road as road dogs. They're 0-2 against ranked opponents, which North Carolina State is – Right now, they're only one and three against the spread. Uh, and coming off a win, they're one and four against the spread, which North Carolina is coming off the win there. Uh, I tend to lean towards uh, the home teams in these rivalry games. I just feel like the home field advantage kind of plays a, a larger factor in them, uh, just because typically the student body is just jam packed into the stadium. Sure. Um, so I think that's going to play a big part. And look, at North Carolina's strength is, is their offense, right? Like they just, up and down the field. They don't really care, it seems like, if the other team scores on them. It's like, we're just going to try and score faster. Um, and they're going to have trouble in this one because North Carolina State uh, has been holding opponents under 20 points per game all season. Uh, North Carolina typically is in the high 30s, uh, so they're not going to be very comfortable uh, if North Carolina State is holding them below that total. Um, total being 62.5 is a little concerning uh, because of that factor of it being in the 30s. Uh, but at the same time, North Carolina State's averaging close to 32 points a game, uh, and North Carolina is giving up over 33 points per game. So as much as I think North Carolina State's defense is going to be the story in this, I still think that North Carolina State's offense is going to be able to put up a decent amount of points where they might get close to that total uh, of 62.5. But I do like the Wolfpack uh, by at least 10, uh, if not a little bit more, in this contest. Yeah, again, no play for me here on this one, but I do think uh, it's it's kind of a, a traditional uh, recycled college athletics, whether it be basketball or football, like handicapping thing. But you you just always in these big rivalry games, like you you do want to kind of lean to the. It feels like the home field is worth a little bit more, and sometimes can be hard to put a number on because you know in the case of North Carolina in this instance, you're talking about some Tar Heels. Maybe playing at NC State for the first time, last game of the year. Um, you know, a- ACC is is obviously a, a wide open league this year, and NC State had that 
marquee victory earlier in the year against Clemson. So I definitely think the far superior team here. And um, again, no play for me, uh, but I do do think that, uh, you know, anytime you look to the home team in these spots, not saying you want to blindly play the home team in all rivalry matchups, but uh, usually uh, can be, I mean, we just finished talking about how Ohio State's probably going to slaughter Michigan, but you get where I'm going with it. So uh, I would definitely lean to that side in this one with NC State. Let's keep things moving and get to a another in-state rivalry, maybe not quite the in-state rivalry in California that USC and UCLA is, but maybe that's exactly why we like the Cal Golden Bears as they go to the Rose Bowl to take on the University of California, Los Angeles Bruins. Uh, this is a uh, Saturday night contest right now. It's UCLA minus six and a half at home, total of 57 and a half. Bill, I'm sure you're going to echo a lot of the same sentiments I will echo here, but it really is just simple for me. UCLA coming off of a big win against USC, or, and, you know, that's that's the rivalry game for those two schools. You know, it's a great uniform game. Plenty of people talking about that last weekend. But, you know, then you look at it and you think from a motivational standpoint, well, what's next for UCLA? And, you know, it's Cal, and, and UCLA has had a nice season, but – they're not going to the Pac-12 title game. So, you know, they just beat USC. Like, I question where the motivation's at, where the margin is for UCLA. And then I look at the Cal side, and, and I think, well, gosh, this feels like the perfect opportunity for a Cal Golden Bears team that doesn't have a signature win this year. That's four and six on the year. That would seem like the team, and then, you know, by the way, Cal went to Oregon and earlier the year gave the Ducks everything they could handle losing 24, mm-hmm. 17, you know, in a game that was tied at 10 after three quarters. So, you know, I, I do think that uh, there's some fight in these golden bears and they're coming in with some confidence having clobbered Stanford last week. I know it's just Stanford, but anytime you win by 30 points, you got to be feeling pretty good about yourselves. And that's what Cal did winning 41 to 11. So, I think we're getting a Cal team that's won not just last week, but three out of four. Uh, and all of those games, 39-25 against Oregon State, 26-3 against Colorado. So all three of those wins by convincing margins. I think they're coming in here with confidence. I think UCLA is a little flat, you know, a little fat and happy off that USC big win. Got to love Cal plus the points here, right? Oh, absolutely. I thought I was waiting for a little sprinkle talk on the money line from you there. I mean, when you were talking I, about this. I, I kind of talked myself into it a little bit yeah. there, but are you you down? <laughs> oh, gosh. you don't have to twist my arm. You know that, <laughs> especially with it being a touchdown favorite there. I, I love it. Oh, yeah, that's kind of your wheelhouse for those money line dogs. Exactly. Between five and a half and seven, give me the dogs on the money line if, if I feel like they can play in the game. And look, you mentioned it about Cal having some some decent wins, but what's been more impressive with them for me is they're undefeated on the season as dogs. So it just seems like every time the odds makers put them in a position of where they're supposed to be uh, losing by against the spread. What's yes against the spread yeah. for sure? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Four and as dogs uh, against the spread uh, on the road as dogs. They're three and zero, and the other side of it, UCLA hasn't been anything impressive as favorites they're two and three uh, against the spread as home favorites so three and three after after a win against the spread we you just mentioned they just had that big win against usc i don't see the motivation uh here at all either um i think it's a nice spot for cal to to sneak in and again 
I'm going to probably sprinkle a little bit on the money line. Um, I think the points are going to be safe, but there's definitely going to be value. I think I saw them recently at like plus 220, 225, something like that. So if I'm getting two to one on my money there in a game where I think that Cal could definitely get the W, I'm probably going to sprinkle a little bit. We are going to opine on a few of the other big rivalry games uh, on the schedule in just a minute, but I do want to allow Bill to get another one of his picks out on a game that you know maybe is uh, not as looked at nationally. Uh, but hey, you have the Big 12 and you have Baylor, who's been uh, pretty impressive this year. Dave Aranda, the coach of the Bears, getting linked to perhaps the USC job or maybe LSU, where he worked at prior to becoming a Baylor Bear. So we have Baylor laying 14, 14 and a hook. It looks like at home against Texas Tech, total of 52. Uh, looks like Baylor is on its way to the Big 12 title game. Uh, and you think they're going to get there in fashion with a blowout win over Tech. Yeah, look, they, obviously Baylor doesn't have a chance, I don't think, uh, to get into the playoff. Um, so it's not so much about style points. To me, it's more so just about um, where they've, how they've performed in these spots throughout the season, both them uh, in the favorite spot here at home. And uh, the other side of the Texas Tech has just been uh, abysmal, so to speak, I guess, in the spots similar to this one, Texas Tech. They're 0-2 against the spread against ranked opponents, uh, 1-2 against the spread uh, as road dogs. And I mentioned Baylor has been a cover machine, 8-3 against the spread on the year. They're 6-2 against the spread after a win, 6-0 against the spread at home, including four times being home favorites. Um, I just – I kind of – whenever I see a, a, a favored around that 14 number, when I see it get over – 14 when I see the hook at it when I see it climb to 15 I kind of grow in confidence that it that that cover or that favorite is going to be able to cover the game because if it drops down to that 13 and a half it just seems so tempting for the public to take and go oh well if they just win by two touchdowns I'm I'm going to be in I'm going to be in the, uh, in the money here and when it jumps to 14 and a half you kind of see the public start to go the other way right like they, they think okay well I can take tech and I'm getting two touchdowns and I'm still covering you if they lose by two touchdowns. Um, to me, it just, it just kind of reeks of Baylor putting a really nice cap on the end of the regular season here and wiping the floor here with Texas and winning by three plus touchdowns in the matchup. So that's kind of why I'm leading that way. Um, and Texas tech, I mean, they're out, their defense is just putrid. They're got 33 and a half points per game. They're allowing, um, and Baylor's a top 40 offense in the country. So I think that Baylor's not going to have any problems here with the uh, traveling Red Raiders. Yeah. And, you know, Texas Tech, that, that's the thing, too. Like, you wonder how interested they are here because they've gone through a coaching change this year. And, you know, uh, I think that that's one thing that particularly on the college side can be hard to quantify sometimes. I mean, we see it sometimes in, in pro sports, but I think particularly – on the college side, you get teams that kind of just tap out on the season. And you look at Texas Tech, they did have a, a an upset win over Iowa State a few weeks ago, but it just got shut out by Oklahoma, or excuse me, Oklahoma State. They got clobbered by Oklahoma a few you know a few weeks prior to that. Lost a tight game against Kansas State. It just hasn't been their season, obviously, hence the coaching change. Um, and, you know, and here they are at six and five overall, meaning they're already bowl eligible. 
Um, yeah, I, I don't really see what motivation or energy the Red Raiders are bringing to Waco, uh, whereas the Bears, uh, like I said, they're going to end up in the conference title game uh, because you're going to get a loss from either Oklahoma or Oklahoma State. So, um, you know, I, I think that here uh, you definitely kind of hit it on the head where the Baylor kind of looks to make one last big statement and uh, move forward. So, um, matter of fact, actually, now Baylor is a game behind both Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, and they lost to Oklahoma State. So I guess Baylor actually would need Oklahoma to win in Bedlam. But nonetheless, um, I like the – I'm not entirely sure on the machinations here of the Big 12 title, as you can tell, but uh, I, I'm in agreement with your pick on Baylor at home. Uh, do you know how that works, by the way, what what the uh, situation would be? Baylor 6-2, and two, Oklahoma 7-1, and one, Oklahoma State 7-1, and one, and they play each other. Baylor has a head-to-head win on Oklahoma, but a loss to Oklahoma State. I don't, but I'll find out by the end of our recording. <laughs> okay, sounds good. <laughs> well, while I – well, uh, I'll give you a minute to uh, kind of uh, fish a little bit on that and uh, let me opine on the Iron Bowl where, uh, you know, I, I, I obviously it's Alabama-Auburn, uh, but I'm going to take all the points as Auburn's catching 19 in the hook at home. I just, time in and time out this year, have really not been that impressed by Bama. And I know they're still, I guess, number three in the CFB rankings. But, you know, it's getting more and more apparent to me why Alabama lost in College Station. Because you look at them in conference games, they're just three and four against the spread um, in SEC games. And that should really be two and five. Because mm-hmm. there was a very fortunate cover for Alabama a few weeks back against Texas, or excuse me, against Tennessee, where the game was like a four-point game going into the fourth quarter. Alabama was laying three touchdowns, and they had a huge fourth quarter and ended up covering. So I have just not been as impressed with Alabama this season collectively. I mean, you know, how bad? I know it was a while ago now, but how bad is that two-point win at Florida looking now. I mean, oh, Florida, yeah. you know, they fired Dan Mullen, you know, and they can yep. barely beat Florida. You know, I, you know, I guess the most impressive win for Alabama this year is the victory over Ole Miss in which they really clobbered Matt Corral and, and, you know, gave him a bucket of cold water on his, you know, feet waking up. But other than that, like they barely beat LSU, like, and and we know Alabama doesn't challenge itself non-conference. And it's kind of been a debate in college football the last four or five years. So quite frankly, like I just think this is Auburn Super Bowl and the Tigers were, I, I faded them last week, clear look ahead spot. I had South Carolina, I cashed there, but you know, if there is, if there's ever a time for Auburn to just push all its chips in and bring out whatever tricks, trick plays they got or something, you know, we talk about nothing to lose. Well, here you go, Auburn Tigers. You know, you've lost three in a row, reeling a bit, still going to a bowl game. But now here comes Alabama. I would think when it comes to motivation, that's all you need. And I'm skeptical of Alabama. Like, I definitely do not think they're going to beat Georgia. And uh, I think this game could end up being much closer. It's an iron bowl. Maybe that's just preaching to the narrative a little bit too much over expecting every Iron Bowl to be close. But 
again, Alabama just hasn't shown me enough to feel good about laying close to three touchdowns on the road. So I'll take all those points with Auburn. Yeah, I'm 100% with you on this. I'm likely going to play Auburn too on this spot. Way too many points. Um, I, I just don't see any scenario where this Alabama team goes in and, and blows the doors off in this matchup. I just I can't see it. Like you said, Bama hasn't been impressive whatsoever um, this entire season, really. So I, I don't think they belong as uh, almost a three-touchdown favorite in this game. And I got to be honest, like when the playoff comes and they're in it, uh, I I don't – I don't see them getting to the title game. I really don't. No matter who they face, I, I just don't see this team being a typical Alabama team that, okay, right. yeah, they're going to walk through the first match and get the title game. And I don't see it this year at all. No, so I'll be back in Auburn Tigers as well in on this one. So it is an Oklahoma loss that Baylor needs. That would make sense because that way it could be Oklahoma State versus Baylor. Oklahoma would lose its second conference game. Baylor would win and still have the two conference losses. So Baylor would be tied for that number two spot in the conference with Oklahoma and obviously have the head-to-head tiebreaker. So the Baylor Bears need to win and they need Oklahoma State to win against Oklahoma in order to set up Oklahoma State and Baylor in the Big 12 championship. Right, and so, then you have – and Baylor playing at 11 o'clock is a huge advantage. That's and, a great – and honestly, that's a great point. Like, right. if, you know – That's it, why it, the line's so high, right? Like – they're not gonna put a they're not gonna put the line out of fourteen and a half if that game yeah. doesn't take Yo, place. Yo, so that's after. interesting, Bill. Like, how much do you think that's worth? Let's say those game times were flipped and Bedlam was an afternoon game and Baylor was at night. Baylor's laying what twelve? Uh, yeah, at most, I would guess. Yeah, like right. So that's definitely yeah. worth a couple points. Yeah, for sure, for yeah. sure. Uh, let's go to the Bedlam game then, uh, as it is going to be a consensus play. For us on the home chalk with Oklahoma State, the Pokes are laying four total in the game in Stillwater. Uh, can't find it now. 50. 50. Oh, wow. That's mm-hmm. actually a pretty low total for a Bedlam game, I feel like. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I kind of hinted at a little bit, at least the angle that I'm going to take here behind Oklahoma State is uh, – Caleb Oklahoma, like way too inconsistent. And I kind of talked about how last week I kind of thought, okay, he could relax a little bit more. Iowa State, you know, Iowa State had been reeling. And, you know, it's going to be very difficult for the Big 12 to make the playoff here. I mean, the winner of this game, I guess, would still be hanging by a thread, but it's obviously not looking promising for the for the league. Um, and so I felt like, okay, Oklahoma, they had their first loss against Baylor. Now they just kind of relaxed a little bit and uh, you know, take care of business at home against Iowa State. But now I do think those expectations ramp back up again for OU because even if Oklahoma does not get to the college football playoff, which it almost certainly will not, I think certainly it's – there's val- they already lost to – actually, they came back and beat Texas. So there's value in winning those two rivalry games, Texas and this one, the Bedlam game against Oklahoma State. And secondly – a lot of, you know, they can still win the conference and, you know, there's still plenty to play for for Oklahoma and obviously a lot to play for for Oklahoma State. We talked about how maybe the, the Pokes could be a little bit of a dark horse for the college football playoff. Sitting number seven, obviously need to win this game and win the Big 12 championship game against it would be likely Baylor. Um, 
But I, I, I just want to fade Caleb Williams again here because mm-hmm. I was at the game in Waco two weeks ago. He looked terrible. And the, the bigger the stage that got, and I know we're talking about somebody that came in. Now, having said that, he came in cold in that Red River game. So, right. you know, Texas had no idea what was coming and clearly did not respond well. I, I think as the season went on, clearly we saw with a good defensive Baylor team, they were ready for the Lincoln-Riley offense and Caleb Williams. And Oklahoma State is very good defensively, too. I know we don't talk about defense a lot in the Big 12, mm-hmm. but Baylor and Oklahoma State are both excellent on the defensive side of the ball, and it makes me feel like Oklahoma State could replicate a lot of the things Baylor did well, and Baylor did those things so well to where I don't think Oklahoma can remedy things that quickly against a good defense. It just feels like good defenses are going to be bad matchups altogether for Oklahoma. And I don't, a lower scoring game, as you talked about total 50, that's not the kind of game I'd feel good about Oklahoma winning rivalry game at home in Stillwater freshman quarterback in a big spot. I I, I like to fade that more often than not. So I'm going to lay the short number and back the pokes minus four. Absolutely. You mentioned it, right? Baylor, one of the best defenses uh, in the country, really uh, not just a big 12. They are giving up 20 points per game to opponents. Then you look over here at our pokes. They're number two in the country. They only allow 14.8 points per game. Again, this is the Big 12 we're talking about. This isn't, you know, allowing 15 points a game in the Big 10 or other conferences where it's usually lower scoring. Uh, The fact the total is so low is just screaming to take Oklahoma State in this game. And they've been like super sneaky good against the spread. They're nine and two overall against the spread this year. Three and zero against ranked opponents, which obviously Oklahoma is. Eight and one after a win. Four and two uh, as home faves. And those two times they didn't cover were the first two games in the season. They were given thirty three and a half to Missouri State, who they only beat by a touchdown, which they'd probably beat them by seventy. Uh, if they play now. And the other one was they were fair by 11 and a half to Tulsa, who they only beat by five. Um, but ever since then, they've just been on an absolute tear. And Oklahoma, this is going to be the first time they're going to be dogs in a game, um, but it's not the first time they're going to be playing on the road. On the road, they're 0-3 against the spread. Um, obviously, they were favored in all three of those games. But I absolutely love this spot for Oklahoma State. I think they get this job done very easily. You mentioned it, the freshman quarterback. I got a feeling we're going to end up seeing Spencer Rattler at some point. Yeah. Um, I, I just see Lincoln Riley being like, what the hell am I supposed to do by halftime of this one? Um, and then, yeah, hopefully it sets up the Oklahoma State-Baylor matchup because obviously I'm playing both faves in, in their matchups. Um, I don't know. What do you think the spread would be for that Baylor-Oklahoma State game? Yeah, on a neutral field, if we're and if we're right, and it's you know both teams cover, uh, I would say Oklahoma State probably in this same four same five number area. Yeah. yeah, would be my guess. You'd agree? Yeah, I think I would agree. I'd actually, I think I'd be more interested to see what the total would be. You know, we keep talking about our defenses. I can't imagine. Right? Yeah, yeah. At that point, gosh, there. you're talking about a Big Ten game. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we're an NFL game, right? Like there's you're going to see most of the high 40s at the most in, right. in that matchup. So, yeah. but yeah, 100% with you. Uh, consensus play. Um, I, I'm. I'll tell you what. 
I'm going to give it out to everybody here because uh, I have not given out a five-unit play. I don't even know how long I have to go back into my wow. data here. Um, but I'm going to be laying a bomb on the pokes here. Five-unit, uh, my max play is going to be on Oklahoma State minus four this weekend. Yeah, and I, I would agree and make it a max as well on my end. Um, I also want to say that we talked about maybe Oklahoma State, like there's a there's a path, albeit a pretty circuitous path for Oklahoma State to getting into the playoff. Well, I think that would also lend itself towards Oklahoma State wanting to just slam the door on Oklahoma and just wanting to mm-hmm. kill them here. I mean, I, you know, because if that scenario plays out where – Oklahoma State wins the Big 12, Ohio State runs the table, and Alabama beats Georgia. And so you have Alabama in, you have Georgia in, you have Ohio State in, and it comes down to undefeated Cincinnati against one loss Oklahoma State. Well, Oklahoma State, you best believe, is going to need some big margin in these games against Oklahoma and then probably Baylor next week. So just something to consider as well if Oklahoma State is to make the playoff uh, it's weird talking about the power five team needing margin and not the other way around. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's where we're at right now with Cincinnati, obviously sitting pretty in the playoff as of today. At and real four. quick, before we get off this game, I'm yeah. just looking at it now. I didn't realize this, but Oklahoma has won the last six straight in this rivalry. So yeah, I think. This oh, and that actually makes me like it more. Yeah. I mean, that, that's good. It's all about motivation. Um, I, I don't have the spreads here. Uh, of what the game uh, for these games were um, back in 2018 uh, it was a one point game outside of that pretty comfortable wins for Oklahoma the rest of the way. So, yeah, I think if Oklahoma State has a, t- a chance to, you know, stick their foot on Oklahoma's throat in this one, they're, they're absolutely going to do they're it. They're going to want to. Yeah. Playoff implications or not. Um, speaking of playoff implications, Bill, I think the most interesting dark horse it's not Oklahoma State, but it's got to be Notre Dame sitting at number six. And you're going to lay 19 with the Irish against Stanford. And, you know, I'll let you handicap the game a little bit in a second. I'm sure it maybe has something to do with the fact that this is obviously the last data point for Notre Dame. This is the last time everybody's going to get to see them. And, you know, I think the path for Notre Dame actually isn't that bad at all. They're at number six. If Ohio State wins, which we all expect them to against Michigan – then Notre Dame will jump Michigan and be at five at this time next week. And then you're just talking about somebody losing on conference championship Saturday that isn't Georgia. So if Georgia is to beat Alabama, I just do not think two loss Alabama is getting in the playoff. Like I, I, I can't see that happening when you don't win. So that would put Notre Dame in a pretty good spot, we would think, to make the playoff. So I think you just got to be riding the last statement to everybody angle here. Yeah, and – yeah, they always have a nice little path to the playoff, don't they? Since they don't have a conference and they don't have to worry about that list. <laughs> yeah, I, I, that's I, 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 I'm kind of sit back and root for chaos. Right, exactly. Hey, in full disclosure here, I don't know if I've won a game that I've bet on Notre Dame or bet against Notre Dame in the last, like, three years. So, uh, full disclosure before I give my play for this one um, – but I'm going to be back in the Irish. Uh, I, I, I've, I've played Stanford a few times this year. I kept thinking they were getting things turned around, um, and it just never actually happened. Um, and they just look uh, 
terrible now. Three and eight against the spread on the year. They're one and four against the spread at home. Two and seven as underdogs. Wow, I can't. I don't know the last time Stanford football has been underdogs in nine games uh, in this season. So that's pretty crazy. And Notre Dame's been eight and three against the spread on the year. The three losses. Obviously, I was probably on them for those three losses. Uh, two and one away. Um, only non-cover was against Florida State, which was in week one, which obviously you can pretty much throw away now. It's a totally different team. Um, but Notre Dame, the defense for Notre Dame has been been super, super solid. Um, we talked about how well Baylor and uh, Oklahoma State have done in holding opponents down to that under-20 threshold. Notre Dame's right there. They're holding teams 18.6 points per game, um, and Stanford is – doing the exact opposite. They're allowing over 30 points per game uh, where Notre Dame is very comfortable. They're averaging about 34 and a half. Uh, the total at 53, look, at Notre Dame is going to get to their number pretty easily at 35. They hold the, uh, Stanford down to below 20. It shouldn't be too hard for them here. I think three touchdown win for, for Notre Dame is not going to be much of a problem at all in this one. Um, and I just don't see Stanford. I don't, I don't think that they're going to get up for this game. Um, you know, they'll probably prove me wrong. So like I said, I've been on the wrong side of every Notre Dame game that I've played uh, in the last probably three years. <laughs> so uh, I'm not going to be too, too confident in it. You know, I gave out the five unit uh, bomb play there with Oklahoma State, and I'll be very honest with everyone, and I'll probably only be playing Notre Dame for one unit. Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you what, though, Bill, like, Stanford's terrible. Like, I, I, I for, for <laughs> the life are. of me, I was waiting. And wondering, like, I know that Oregon had the win at Ohio State, but I'm just thinking, yo, they got this loss to Stanford and nobody seems to care. Like, I get it. Maybe that Ohio State win kept looking better and better for the Ducks. But, like, I don't know if you were on Utah last week, but I was very happy to see that go the way it did because Mm -hmm. Utah was favored. They were the barely ranked team against Oregon, number three in the country. And. Oregon just looked terrible. So it looked like the Oregon team that obviously had the loss to Stanford, which was by far the worst loss out of any of these teams in playoff contention. So if you're Notre Dame, I think, uh, again, one last statement opportunity. And, uh, again, Stanford's just bad. Like, it's just like we talk about some teams that are six and five, seven and four, wondering what they have to play for. Well, what do the Stanfords of the world have to play for here? So I definitely agree with your play. On the Irish, I want to wrap up with a line that I just couldn't say no to, and that's the Penn State Nittany Lions laying one against the Michigan State Spartans. And uh, you know, I I have to, you have to play Penn State here. And you know, <laughs> uh, you know what? Like, I hate that as a Temple guy. They they Penn State just kind of doesn't even acknowledge our existence, um, <laughs> even though we did get a victory that's over right. Penn State my junior year. So it uh, was one of the more fun nights on campus after that victory. I'll tell you that. But nonetheless, here's Penn State, a road favorite in East Lansing, how the tables have turned for Michigan State. Of course, we were both on Purdue a few weeks back, plus three against Michigan State in West Lafayette. That was really the beginning of the demise for the Spartans. Uh, they did come back and, uh, you know, after their uh, the week after beat up on, I think it was Maryland. But, uh, yeah, obviously we saw what happened to them in Columbus last week. And, you know, I this is just, you know, that this is like the dream crusher effect now for Michigan State. Like the season is over for all intents and purposes. Like 
they're not even going to end up in a New Year's Six Bowl, you know, I, I don't think. And, mm-hmm. you know, Mel Tucker ought to just sign that big deal now, you know, like <laughs> ought to just lock himself in because, uh, no, I, you know, speaking of signing big deals, you know, if you can sell used cars the way James Franklin can, then I guess <laughs> you're going to get a nice deal and maybe a little bit of, uh, rejuvenation for the Nittany Lions. They just shut out Rutgers last week. Coach gets a big deal. So now they know he's going to be sticking around. And they're a favorite here. Like, it all winds up to play Penn State. It's not my favorite play because, again, I do think, you know, the Michigan State storyline, you know, for Michigan State this year, 10-2 and would still be very good despite the fact that they're not going to go to the Big Ten title. So I don't doubt that there could still be – they could still be excited and and fired up for this game. But I'll willingly lose a bet if that's the case because I I don't know where Michigan State – everything is – they were number three three weeks ago when we talked about that game against Purdue. And here they are now. Again, this game doesn't even mean much for the Spartans. Penn State, like I said, all the Franklin stuff is to bed now. He'll be there. Maybe that kind of fires him up a little bit. Line indicates as much. I like the Nittany Lions minus one. Yeah, everything you said I, I am in total agreement with. I'll be playing Penn State as well. Line doesn't make any sense. Good old Coach Franklin. Another <laughs> 10 years ago. I texted my brother-in-law. I think I mentioned it before. My brother-in-law is a Penn State alum, huge Penn State fan. Um, like, I how does he feel? I, like, how do how do Penn State people? He hate they, he hates it. Like every, <laughs> literally every single Penn State fan that I talk to has said that they hate the fact that they're resigned or they extended Franklin. But I said to him, I said, you know, just just when I thought that Penn State couldn't outperform Michigan. In a moronic way, more so than Michigan extending Harbaugh last year. You guys go out and do this with James Franklin. Like, they're so terrified that he was going to go run to, you know, the USC opening or the Florida opening. And Bill, all the thing of it is, if he does that, you're still Penn State. Like, you <sighs> could, you would think you're okay if you lose James Franklin. You would. You would, but maybe it's maybe part of it is maybe part of it is because they had that ridiculously long tenure with Joe Pa, right? They go out and when he left, it was only Bill O'Brien between Joe Pa and Franklin, Franklin correct? Right, yeah. So O'Brien went to the NFL, and, that's- and he yeah, and he ran. So it's almost like do they feel like that they just want to kind of. Be like the Pittsburgh Steelers, so to speak, of college of football. The, yeah, uh, of college football, and ironically saying that, since of, you know, with the issues that Tomlin took with uh, being talked about in the same breath as Franklin going to possibly out the USC. So right. yeah. I don't know what it is. I don't. I really don't know what it is. I get it. I, I get he's a good recruiter. Um, I don't think he's a good coach. I don't think it warranted a ten-year extension. But hey, here we are. Hey, he's got his bread and the family is well taken care. I read that there's a $1 million life insurance contribution in the contract for every year. So um, if James Franklin is to drop dead at any point during this contract, uh, his family will be well taken care of. That's for sure. But yeah, we will see what happens here uh, with uh, the next 10 years in Happy Valley. But something tells me it's just going to be a lot more eight and four, nine and three. Mm hmm. If you're good with that, well, okay. 
But, you know, if you're going to prop up your football tradition like they do there, I would think that you'd want to shoot a little higher. And, and again, I'm not saying fire the guy, but if he's going to leave, then just let him dip and figure it out. I would think that you'd be able to garner enough interest in your job uh, to where you'd be okay. But I guess uh, Penn State doesn't want to travel down that road, so... We'll see what happens. But anyway, Bill, before I let you go, what's on your plate? What are your what are your Thanksgiving sides? Uh, yes. I've been waiting all podcasts for this question. Because okay. Loves- I you know, I, I just I don't get it. I feel like every year we get the grumpy Scrooge types that are like they wanna shit on Thanksgiving and they wanna be different. They're just trying way too hard to shit on what is such a great American holiday. I agree. I totally agree with you. Um, actually, it's funny. My, my seven-year-old daughter brought this up to me the other day and, and she brought up a great point. She said, you know, I, I like, I like Halloween. I like Thanksgiving. I like Christmas. She said, but why can't we just have it spaced out a little bit more? Like, why does it have to all be within three months of each other? And I was like, that That's is a good, a good point. point. Be nice. Yeah. I don't know how you break that up. I don't It'll know. It'd be which nice one to have Thanksgiving in like August. Yeah, I guess, I guess you're right. Yeah. Um, but no, I'm, I'm a huge, I think I mentioned it before in our podcast. Uh, around Thanksgiving last year, and we talked about. It. I'm a huge pineapple stuffing guy. It's a kind okay. of a, it's kind of a rarity. Not many people have it um, with their dinners. My aunt used to make it for us as a kid. Um, I developed a culinary art to it, so I enjoy making it and bringing it over to our family's uh, Thanksgiving dinner. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I'm an Italian guy at heart, so I like to hit, you know, mess around the kitchen. From time to time. So what what are we looking at from you got the new digs down in Houston now, right? So we're yeah. So I mean, I, you know, I, I was it was in one of those situations where I I don't know if you'll agree with this or not, but I got a little worried about the optics of you know uh, you know work here for a couple of weeks and just get my bearings and then dip for the holiday. So I wasn't sure how that would look. So I got scheduled to work a good deal on Thanksgiving, but. I'm sure I'll find a, a a quick place I can run in and grab the – it's a thing. I mean, there's probably people all over the country that are in these binds where they have to sure. – you know, they're by themselves. they got to find a plate somewhere that serves a Thanksgiving dinner. So I don't get too picky about it because I, I think, as I've said, people like to almost shit on the food because we only eat it once a year and they think of that as like a bad thing and they think oh well the, why how could the food be so good if we don't eat it year round i think <laughs> there's value in the preservation of the food you know like i think that there is you bring that there's there's value in that first plate uh, on you know every year it's the only meal that we do this for because all the other food like if if you like pizza so much yeah you're going to eat plenty of pizza or whatever you're going to do that all the time. But, like, there's only one Thanksgiving dinner. So I always, wherever I am, I'm sure I will find I'm a dark meat with some skin. Cranberry sauce and stuffing are kind of my go-tos. So um, Cranberry, wait, is the cranberry gravy? sauce, is it, what is it? I, well, I, I like gravy on the meat and on the stuffing. But what were you going to say about the cranberry sauce? Cranberry sauce, canned or homemade cranberry sauce uh, you know i can do both uh i'll i i, I will say uh i'm a sucker for the canned stuff maybe a little more than uh like that's kind of the like generic like mm-hmm. kind of mundane boring answer and i don't have any pineapple stuffing type of correlation to the cranberry sauce i just like it i just think it tastes good like i <laughs> I, I can't really come up with 
anything fancy on it. Give me canned cranberry sauce. I'm going to like it. So now, if you're real blind down there, you can always run to Wawa. Oh, no, there's no Wawa's out there. Oh, God. Can't yeah, get a I, gobbler. I miss my Wawa. <laughs> Definitely get some for Christmas. There he is. Bill Christie at Larry's Locks 2 on gambling Twitter. I'm Greg Frank at Undercover Greg. Bill, thanks a lot. Happy holidays to you and your family, and I know we'll be talking. Same to you, Greg. Take care, man. All righty. Again, Bill Christie. I'm Greg Frank. Follow the podcast as well at full underscore slate underscore pod. Enjoy the holiday weekend of college football rivalry week on the college gridiron. This has been Full Slate, a Blue Wire gambling podcast. And, of course, everyone, please play responsibly.